This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 78. Hey everybody, how has your week been? Mine's been really good. I have heard from so, so many of you about my episode last week all about procrastination and why we're not taking action. And loads of you as well saying how excited you are for my new program, 15 Minute Magic. So thank you to everyone who's been in touch. I am still working through trying to reply to every single one of you. If you've not caught it yet, go and listen to that episode. That's episode 77. Stack it up right after this one. Or just head to me and Orla. That's M-E-A-N-D-O-R-L-A dot co dot uk forward slash magic. And you can find out everything about it. How you can join me in making 2020 the year that you do everything on your to-do list. You take daily action towards your dreams and stop breaking all of those promises to yourself. So me and Orla, as in me and Orla, my little girl, forward slash magic. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to get the email updates because for this extra special very first launch, I'm going to be giving my email subscribers access at a really heavily discounted price so you don't want to miss out. Okay, on to today's episode. So my guest this week is somebody that I knew the second I discovered her that I needed to interview her on this podcast. Like me, she lives with a chronic illness, but unlike me, she talks about it freely and often without any apology or shame, and she's just carved out this safe and friendly space for others to do the same online. The first part of that, about talking about it completely freely, is something that I feel like I'm still working on myself. So I called her up to find out how she got to where she is right now and how she's managing to build this game-changing space while still dealing with all the demands of a busy life and unpredictable health. Here's Jamisha. Hi Jamisha, welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi, thank you for having me on. Thank you. I'm so glad that we're finally getting to speak because actually like getting two people with a chronic health condition to synchronize schedules has taken us a bit of time. <laughs> it's always hard. It's always, <laughs> you have to ping pong. It's like someone's ill and then someone else is ill. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we're finally here. Um, could you give everyone a brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Okay, cool. So my name's Jamisha. Some people call me Jam. Uh, I make videos online so um, I would call myself filmmaker editor but I run a platform on Instagram called you look okay to me um, it's on other social platforms too but Instagram is mainly where uh, most of us sort of talk and, and communicate so I kind of like to make videos and online content that's about chronic illness but also just how it relates to wide stuff like family art culture you know stuff like that um, but also some of the real real life things that we experience um so I'll talk about that in videos but I am hoping eventually to expand them a bit more and speak to other people and not just have me talking at the camera all the time but it's hard right like I'm always amazed that you do videos at all because I think video is probably the most like physically demanding of all the kinds of content you can create it is quite difficult, um, but I found a flow that works. And because it's like I, I've known how to do it for a while, it kind of helps sort of figuring out what makes it more accessible for you. Um, I used to make videos that were only just like one minute and then I was just make them really short so it was easier for me then with time I was able to make longer ones but it sometimes meant that you just film someday and then you maybe you don't edit it yet because you're too tired or, you know, I have like 
tripods that are really easy to set up or I put them in places where I can sit down um and my settings are usually the same anyway so I've preset it so a lot of the time it's like I've done a lot of prep beforehand so that it's quite easy to just do so it's not too bad it's not too bad I just I think it's more so the editing that's the bit that gets that gets me where it's just tiring rather than the filming itself yeah I guess that's part of it because video is one of those mediums like if you if you're writing an article you write the article and then it's done but with video like you do the whole thing and then you're like oh man now I've got to do all the editing like start all over again exactly yeah so video is your day job as well isn't it yes um so I work at a department in BBC called BBC Stories so we make short documentary content sometimes written content um about various topics um which is cool I'm trying to make some more chronic illness or health related stories um become more common here but we'll see how it goes <laughs> well because there's so many of us and that was one of the reasons I was so keen to get you on the podcast because I know there's going to be so many people listening who either live with chronic illness themselves or love somebody or have a good friend who is battling with chronic illness and yet it's not very represented in the wider world no it's not I mean I feel like there's definitely been a positive change I'd say since 2000 2012 I would say from 2012 up to now which has been about seven years maybe almost eight wow it's almost 2020 like I think since like social media has become obviously more common and more popular there's been more voices talking about chronic illness and, and more awareness but even still when we look at other stuff like uh, regular television some docs it's still not quite there um, and so sometimes it feels like we're talking about it a lot amongst ourselves but it's now that push of trying to get other people who may not have a chronic illness or may not know anyone with one to start kind of thinking about it and being aware of it as well. Right. I can't think of a single like TV or movie character that has a chronic illness that at least is like portrayed as a normal human anyway and not just an accessory. Yeah, it's usually like a flippant remark sometimes um, in a show like House where they'll say it's not lupus, it's never lupus. <laughs> yes. A couple of characters that might have this condition. Like I've seen a few shows where they'll flippantly say, oh, she's got Lyme disease. And it's like just, you know, just gone after that. Or it's even made fun of. You know, like, um, which one? Like fibromyalgia. I know in one yeah. of, there's like a Netflix series um, by a YouTuber called Haters Back Off. And the mum had undiagnosed fibromyalgia, as they say in the show. And she was represented as like a faker. So it's not even like made clear whether she actually had fibromyalgia or whether she was making it up. It's actually not even clear. So there's a lot of stuff like that where it's not good representation and makes people seem lazy and and attention seekers which is hopefully something we can change because that is not the case at all it's, it's so not the case and I know that that's a huge fear for people like even to talk about their chronic illness and there's definitely some I think like chronic fatigue syndrome um and fibromyalgia the ones that are kind of still a little bit of a diagnosis of elimination so that people feel like they yeah. are not believed and they're not taken seriously. And that's inside medical professions as well as outside. Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned lupus. I bet you, do you get the house reference all the time? The, uh, it's not lupus. <laughs> Less so now. I mean, I used to get it primarily from one person who was a random Facebook friend who I don't even talk to that much. And I remember getting diagnosed and anytime I would speak about it, he would just put House's face in the comments. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not even friends with you like that, mate. Like for you to be doing it's not that, okay. it's not even funny. 
But it was just corny. I didn't find it offensive. It was just corny. But yeah, I used to get that a lot from him. But not not so much like, I think I just don't know that many people that watch House like that. But um, only after being diagnosed did I realise that that was like a meme. I didn't even know that was a thing <laughs> until after my diagnosis. Um, there is a single episode of House with someone with pups but he is someone who's had like electroshock therapy for gay conversion. So it's, again, not really a very accurate representation of anything. So would you mind talking a little bit about what lupus is and how you got diagnosed? Because I imagine for a lot of people, this is their first time really hearing about it. Yeah, um, so lupus is an autoimmune disease. So what that would mean is my immune system, which is meant to fight off you know, colds, flu, bacteria, viruses, all of that stuff. Um, it doesn't work properly. So it kind of attacks your own body instead. It attacks the healthy tissue in your body instead. So it can cause muscle pain, uh, fatigue, joint pain, um, cognitive dysfunctions. So you can get forgetful, memory loss, or you just have brain fog, um, skin lesions. It's sun sensitive as well. So if you go in the sun, you've got to wear sunscreen. So it's like a full body type of condition uh, where your immune system just gets a bit confused for some reason and it and it fights your own body instead. Um, I got diagnosed in 2014. Uh, so that's five years now in October. Officially, the diagnosis was in October. The process was really long. Uh, it's like most patients usually describe, which is you know, kind of going to your doctor and saying something doesn't feel right. I feel so tired. I'm in so much pain. And them saying there's nothing wrong with you doing as what they call the full blood test, which is not the case. It's <laughs> they did a basic set of blood tests, um, you know, sending you for x-rays and stuff and not really seeing anything and therefore telling you you're absolutely fine. And then kind of having to self-advocate for a bit and do the dangerous thing that doctors don't want you to do, which is Google your symptoms and then kind of make... I kind of Googled it in a way where I didn't diagnose myself with lupus, but I kind of went, hey, what I've got sounds like these five conditions, which were like Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, like and all sorts. And I brought it to my GP and only then they were like, OK, we'll refer you to a rheumatologist. That is exactly what I had to do. Like, I wonder how many of us yeah. there are where that's our exact story. And because like you say, like doctors don't want you Googling it, but my doctor had never heard of POTS. I had to take a print out and be like... I think this is my, my, my explain everything. And he, like, to his credit, he was like, never heard of it. I'm going to go away and do my own research. And then he called me back a few weeks later and said, OK, we're going to refer you. Wow. Well, hats off to him for even saying that, because that's a big thing for even some doctors to say. Because to be honest, it's it's nerve wracking to even have to go to them with a printout and say, this is what I think I have. Because well, you're scared of what they're going to say. Absolutely. Like you're scared that they're going to be like, oh, I've got one of those. We've got one of those um, Munchausen people. Yes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like who have Munchausen syndrome, who's making it up, who wants to be ill. That's the fear as well. Um, it's 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 scary. I mean, for me, like even going down through the process, I like, you know, had to have really long waiting times in between my appointments um, saw three or four different doctors. I didn't even see the same one. And they all kind of were not in good communication with each other. The first one tried to diagnose me with arthritis without doing any x-rays or any MRIs or looking like any scan. She just looked at my joints and was like, yeah, that's rheumatoid arthritis. I was like, okay, I don't really want to see you again. No. Saw someone else who was amazing, who did all the tests. But then when I came back to see the results, it wasn't her, it was someone else who then told me that it wasn't lupus, it was um, depression or maybe fibromyalgia. <laughs> of course. 
here is a set of uh, antidepressants, progabalin, and you need to see a psychotherapist, which I was furious, but, you know, you kind of, at that point, when that's the first time that happened to you, you have no idea, like, you're just shocked yeah. that someone's actually going to turn around and be like, yeah, and, and and here's the thing, like, I have to be very careful when I say this stuff, like, depression actually can cause those symptoms in some people, in many people, that's actually, like, that does happen, but in my particular case, like, that wasn't it, because there were antibodies present in my blood that sometimes indicate that there is an autoimmune kind of condition that's underlying, um, and even then, you can have depression and lupus at the same time, you can have depression and whatever else at the same time, so it just... It's frustrating. So it's only through complaining that I got referred to a specialist lupus clinic at Guy's. And that's when I got officially diagnosed by a guy called Professor De Cruz, who said, of course, it's lupus, which, you know, it's kind of like, wow, all of that. And then someone someone is saying, obviously, it is. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it's just crazy. I remember the very first specialist I saw, I got very lucky. And he kind of, he put his hand on my knee and he looked me right in the eyes and he was like, I believe you. And at the time, I hadn't had a hard time of it. So I was really like, well, of course you do. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> but then, of course, subsequent appointments with different consultants made me really appreciate that first time. Because it, I, I didn't have enough self-belief to even fight. I think you talked a little bit about this in one of your videos about how when you look back, you had kind of symptoms for quite a long time, but they all seem unrelated or they seem so small that you don't feel like you can always go to a doctor about them and when I looked back at my medical history I'd been to the doctor about so many like very stereotypical pot symptoms but because I'd been in isolation about different symptoms one at a time I'd never really thought of myself as a sick person I'd never thought oh gosh all of these things come together to mean one big thing I just thought I was like overly sensitive mm, which it's the worst feeling. That's the worst feeling because you start, you don't believe yourself. You yeah. don't believe yourself. Kind of a scary place to be, you know? When your body is telling you day after day, like something is wrong and you need to get help, but your mind is kind of trying to override it. And I think that's one of the dangers in our yeah. kind of current culture about illness is that there is still a bit of that. Maybe it's particularly here in the UK like that, like, oh, just get on with it and ignore it and toughen up kind of mentality. Unfortunately, and I think it's also I think it also a mixture of a few things with our kind of and I won't just say this for UK. I think it's across many countries in the kind of the medical system where if a doctor doesn't know, I sometimes also feel like rather than kind of and not all of them. Yours was great. Yours was like, I don't know. I'm going to look into this. But there are many that don't know, but then we'll just write it off rather than look yeah. into it um, yes. for some reason. Not or why but that's also because doctors are human so there's going to be different types of them there's going to be ones that are more inquisitive that want to find out there's going to be ones that I think well just because I don't know then it clearly is nothing or if it's not fitting into these neat boxes of diagnosis because not all of us do sometimes you know there's certain things that are not textbook you know then some some of them are just very willing to write it off completely so it, it's just it, it's luck of the draw of who you get <laughs> a lot of the time as well yeah, and it takes persistence, I think, to keep trying different people. Yeah, you keep trying different people. Sometimes some people, I mean, in my case, sometimes having to save up to see a private doctor sometimes, yeah. you know, like, which is frustrating because, you know, you're having to spend a lot of money on that. But sometimes, you know, when you know something's wrong, it's what you need to do for your health. But it's hard. Yeah, and of course, that's sort of the reality for anyone listening who is in the States, um, there's always a cost associated. And I know 
from speaking to people online who have illnesses in the States, it's another mentality there where you're kind of like, can I afford to get this looked at? And then if you go and you're not believed, that's, you know, that's a real sunk cost, which I can imagine is really just an added layer of miserableness to the whole process. And of course, we should, there's so much research as well, I know, um, that says that women of colour are less likely to believe in a doctor's office, less likely to be taken seriously. And I know there's a lot of statistics around things like childbirth, where outcomes for women of colour are just worse because of the uh, unconscious bias, maybe, or maybe conscious bias of medical professionals. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because it's actually tricky. That's tricky to call out because how do you prove that when you're experiencing it? It's quite difficult. The only time I've been able to actually have proof that that's happened to me is for gynecological problems that I'm still trying to investigate now. Ever since I was 12, I've been having these problems. And it's only when I got to like 21, I decided, you know what, Jamisha, you got to restart this because you, you deep in my bones, I know there's something going on with my gynecological health. But, you know, with, with all women, to be honest, they're very flippant. But I do think, especially with black women, they can be a bit more dismissive. So I tried to see this guy and he basically... You know, I was explaining my symptoms because I I feel like it could potentially be endometriosis or I know my mum has a fibroid and my nan had fibroids. Mm. I know there's probably something. And he he just looked at me and said, you know, well, black women tend to bleed more than white women. So (laughs) that's the only time I've been able to have like tangible, like proof that this person has kind of like had that. The other times it's like I have a suspicion that's happening. But to be honest, it's hard to prove. It is really hard to prove that. But a lot of this stuff comes from historical historical findings back in the day you know during like slavery times they would uh, test on slaves and they would do like surgeries on slaves to kind of advance surgery and especially with gynecological health as well and they had this idea back then that black people do not feel pain in the same way that white people do that we feel less pain that we will be able to handle surgery a lot better and heal much faster than a white person for some reason and so that was that's that's what they thought back then. That's what medical professionals truly believed back then. So even though, yeah, in theory, that's not in a textbook now, I do feel like some of those thought processes have like trickled down into mm-hmm. the way we kind of talk today. So even those stereotypes of like, you know, the strong black woman and stuff, that's like killing people. That's killing women that are having children and dying in childbirth just because these unconscious, I do think they're unconscious a lot of the time, but these unconscious... Um, sort of thought processes that come from the medical field that have probably stemmed from historical sort of sort of research that you know while it's been dismissed still kind of lingers around a little bit but as I said before it's just it's quite tricky to prove that even though you know it's tricky to kind of prove that because someone will just turn around and say well of course it's not because of your race and how are you going to say yes it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and if you're already used to not being believed because you're a woman and because of the nature of your condition like it's very difficult for you to officially tease apart even though you get the sense in that room and I think you're right because the medical profession by and large still is a very white male profession and there are a lot of really pervasive myths about all kinds of things that that are still kind of believed in this kind of old boys club of medicine yeah yeah exactly so I mean one, one can hope to change that. I don't know how, though, <laughs> to be honest with you. I have no idea how. Raising awareness is great. I just hope it reaches them because that's also important, like getting yeah. that to reach them. And I guess maybe getting more people of colour into medical positions, getting more women into medical positions so that we're seeing more diverse doctors who 
I've got first-hand experience to know that it's bullshit when they hear it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I wonder, have you got, if there's anyone listening to this who it feels like they have been trying to advocate for their health and have not been being heard, have you got any advice, anything that's helped you get through that process or helped maybe some of the people you've heard from through You Look Okay to Me? Um, so I think there's a few things that help. It's writing everything down. Like I would say what helps is sometimes with doctors is having everything like notarized. I don't know why it helps, but like when you're some, when they're, sometimes when they're asking you stuff and you're like, oh, I had this, the other symptom and then I had this symptom. When you have it like written date by date, three months ago, I had this, it lasted this long. Sometimes that can help during the diagnosis mm. process. I also think, I also think uh, bringing someone to the appointments, you know, whether it, a lot of the time it is allowed. I bring my mom to a lot of my appointments. It helps because you can be quite emotional because of what's happening to you. And then sometimes you miss something or you don't understand something. So having a second pair of ears to listen to what they're saying and ask questions is really, really helpful. I mean, I, my mum does it for me. My mum also goes to my grandma's appointments because I also think there's ageism when it comes to older people, yeah. but then being listened to. Uh, so that helps. And just having a general support network overall. So a support network, yeah, of your friends and family, but also other people with chronic illnesses as well and talking to them all of that helps because it's really hard. Like there's going to be a period of time where you're going to be like, I can't be bothered with this. You know, I really just, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of being treated like this. I'm tired of being spoken to like, I'm like, I'm stupid. I still have those moments now, but sometimes talking to people or realizing how important it is to keep going. I think that helps a lot, like emotionally, because it is so tough. Like it's really, really tough, especially when you keep getting no's and, 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 and you're not getting reasons as to why or getting dismissed or not feeling like a human, sometimes feeling like a test subject it's having that support network is extremely important during that time yeah. and remembering why you're doing it remembering this is for you this is for your health this is for your ho hopefully potentially being able to manage these symptoms that you've been having and hopefully seeing like a better future that stuff I think having that in your mind also can be helpful absolutely and um, one of the things I've started to do that I find really helpful is do as much of my own kind of investigative uh, like diagnosis yeah. before I go and I'm sure that's familiar to you and to lots of other people so like recently um, I, I was just like I'm just gonna do a bit of a differential diagnosis for how my fatigue is horrendous like I, I'm just always so tired like constant jet lag and um, started at the A's and was like sleep apnea could we need to rule that one out so I hired a kit for about I think it's about 40 pounds online to test myself at oh, home wow. for sleep apnea got this huge printout said actually I have moderate sleep apnea so I was able to take oh, wow. that to my GP um and and be like I need a referral to the sleep clinic now typically to get a referral to a sleep clinic you need to be a middle-aged overweight man I think you need yeah. like a large neck <laughs> um but I was like, you know, this, I've never had a sleep study and yet I need stimulants to keep me awake in the daytime. Like, surely this is something that we should have already ruled out. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but like, there's so many things like that. So, you know, you can check things like your blood pressure, your heart rate, things like that. The physical things yeah. you can check fairly easily at home. It is a lot harder if you need things like blood work and specific blood work, like for things like lupus that maybe are not going to be as accessible to you just via a Google search. Oh, but that's what I forgot to mention. So also knowing what those what the names of those tests are is helpful. So for me, I didn't know what blood test you're supposed to have for lupus. So when they're saying to you, like, 
oh yeah, we've done all the bloods. You're taking that for their word. But it, um, my, my parents pay into this thing called Benenden. So it's like this private healthcare, but you can pay into it monthly. And after you've been on it for six months, sometimes you can get a private treatment if the NHS is either taking too long or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm on my mum's plan. It's kind of like Bupa. It's like that kind of thing. Um, and you, they have a 24-hour helpline. So we ended up calling up them. And that, the guy said, that sounds like it could be lupus or arthritis. The tests that you need are an ANA, an anti-SSA, and an RA factor. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'd never heard of those things before, but him telling us the names of those specific tests meant that when I went back to the GP and said, can I have this, this, and this, please? Then they were like, oh, okay, cool. So their tune had changed completely. But had you not known what those tests are, you can't really ask for them. So, no. And this, I guess the same yeah. is true for, for medications you might like to try. Um, like yeah. That's when that community element can be so helpful because you can say, well, I know other people have tried this drug and they've had some success with it. Is there a reason not to? And I, re- I know there's a post that's been going viral on Tumblr for a while now, and it's actually in relation specifically to how women of colour are more likely to not be taken seriously or to get the quality of care. And it advises women to say, if a doctor says no to any kind of test or procedure, to say to the doctor, please, can you make, can you note that in my file that you've refused that yep. treatment? And it seems like a lot of people are getting really good results from that because, of course, as soon as you do that, the doctor is like, oh, crap, actually, I'm going to be in trouble when this person eventually gets the test and discovers that they do have it. Yeah, yeah. And I had no idea that that was a thing. So this is why also that the Internet's great, because seeing that that community stuff, you it, it makes you aware of things you had no idea about. And that could potentially help you. I mean, recently I spoke to one of my friends. She's my friend. I consider her a friend now, but we met online because she has MS and I think sickle cell trait. Um she mentioned that my GP probably isn't good enough and that I should go in. And, and she basically gave me the information on how I'm supposed to get my notes and if I want to move like GP to get my own copy. And she's basically walking me through it. And it's like all of this stuff is just so helpful for all of yeah. us, I think, um, to kind of get through this type of um, some of these tricky parts of um, the small parts that you probably weren't aware of when you were trying to get diagnosed. Which I guess kind of brings us back to the community that you are fostering on Instagram and kind of on the wider network. I love the name. You need to explain the name to anyone who isn't familiar. <laughs> it's so funny. So the name is called You Look Okay to Me. Um, and if I tell the truth, like <laughs> a lot of people like the name. I like the name. But I came up with it so last minute, like, and I wasn't even going to go with it. I thought, I just need a name. Because originally when I was... Um, so you look okay to me came out of actually I had the idea beforehand so when I got sick in my first year at uni I was frustrated so I came up with the idea then the year afterwards a friend of mine was like oh there's this competition at uni it basically means that someone from one course has to collaborate with someone in another course to create a project and then you can get funding for it like a grant to start it and so he was like yeah let's 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 get together and do something about what you were talking about and so on the application form, it was the day before the, it's the day before the, um, <laughs> the deadline. deadline. And I was like, oh, we need a name, we need a name for it. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, uh, uh, oh, you look okay to me. It's a bit cringe, but like, I'll change it later. It's fine. And then I sent it in and then the people were like, great name. And I was like, oh, keeping it then. Okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but obviously, you know, I thought of that just because this is stuff that, you know, you get told a lot of the time you get told, you look fine. You look okay. You don't look sick. Any, any of those variants. 
all the time when you have an invisible illness and it's like yeah that's really nice of you to say but (laughs) (laughs) a lot more yeah I don't feel okay we should add to that list actually um you should just try celery juice have you tried my essential oils Um, I had that the other day I had to block someone the other day unfortunately because you know they had been on my Instagram for a while and they were always suggesting things but they were quite sweet so I just would gently say oh thank you so much I'm so glad that helped you don't think that's going to help me but I really appreciate you sending it to me and then uh, after a while they just sent one where it was like how to reverse your lupus and I was like I've had enough so I just I had to block because it just was like, okay, I appreciate it, but that one's too far. Yeah, I was trying to explain to a friend the other day, actually, like, why the these comments, like, get to me so much. And I think it comes down to this thing. It's like, it's like the other person is assuming that you haven't tried hard enough yes. to feel better. Exactly. And, like, that if there was exactly. any stone left unturned that, that could magically fix us, that we wouldn't have already done it. So... To, to, to just assume and then also to kind of abandon science and assume that celery juice is going to is going to magically get rid of a serious lifelong condition like it's it sort of belittles what we actually live with absolutely absolutely and you know this is something interestingly culturally like this happens within my culture a lot as well so I'm Afro-Caribbean descent and Afro-Caribbean people are very big on uh, herbal and natural remedies, which is great. You know, like I like herbal remedies that actually work or, you know what I mean? I like the idea of it. I like stuff. So don't get me wrong. But because of that, they also is like a big distrust of doctors. A lot of them have a distrust of going and taking regular uh, medication. They feel like a lot of it makes us sicker, which you can argue some, that is the case for some. But when you tie that, and this is not stuff that I completely disagree with all the time, but when you tie that into me having this long-term illness, it's hard because they're, they're assuming that that's the case with me. So I'll right. take this medication I take every single day and they're just like, mm, don't like that medication, you know, like it's like, it makes you sick. And you're just like, well, I mean, I'll, I might die if I don't take it, you know, so <laughs> be alone. Okay. Your, your, your little grass thing might not cure, like it might cure my cold. It might make the cold go by quicker, but it's not going to cure lupus. Can you please like, but unfortunately, it's one of those things where, especially with family, you have to just nod and smile. When it's strangers, I don't have to. When it's family, it's like, oh, yeah, my grandma. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a really tricky thing to navigate. And it's interesting to know that kind of different cultures have like different manifestations of the same problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is you seem from from the outside, and maybe maybe this you'll correct me, but it seems like you are a very motivated and productive person. Like you're getting a lot of stuff done. Um, whilst living with the reality of a chronic illness, I'm curious about what drives you. Um, wow, I don't know. That's, I think about that for a second. <laughs> I think because I've always been really uh, motivated. Like it's always since a young kid, and it's, maybe it's middle child syndrome and wanting attention. So then, like <laughs> I'm a middle to... child too. No, seriously, like I, a lot of the time, so my, my sibling, my older sibling was quite naughty and my youngest sister is quite naughty. I was the good one. And then I would never get any attention because they're so naughty. And so it's like, if I, if I, if I get good grades, would I, you know, my mum will notice me. I think it probably came from there, but I guess for now, it's just, I want to make good stuff that makes people think, makes people feel something that connects that. I just like making good work. I like making good creative work. And I just want to keep doing that. And that's my main thing. Um, 
very easily any of us could probably just go into like certain jobs well not us actually we have chronic illnesses but it's very like you know you can go into certain jobs that can make probably more money than I make now do you know what I mean I'm not motivated by money though like you can make you can get to certain jobs that will make you a lot of money and you won't be happy you'll be depressed and spending most of that hard-earned money that you got on your holiday and living for your holidays and stuff but for me I just think it's like as long as I can create good work that makes people think and feel something or challenges something or raises awareness changes a mind or so that to me I think is what drives me now um so being able to live off that is a dream <laughs> you know being able to live off of that but also do that at the same time is yeah. pretty much like that's dream um but that's I'd say that's what it is and obviously now like after getting diagnosed it's it, I've become just more interested in the health side of things but not just not just illnesses itself, but just how does it link to every single thing? Because as you and I both know, this like this stuff affects every aspect of your life. So, you know, work, art, like artists had to had had been inspired by the pain they grew up they grew up with. Also, like Frida Kahlo, like, and I think they also talk about um, what's his name, Van Gogh or whatever. A lot of those people, their work was informed by this pain. So I'm just inspired by just like pain and illness and just how that how that how that. I, I can't really think of the right word. It sort of shapes us, doesn't it? And like, I, I often think I, yeah. I don't know who I would be without my illness because it has kind of, it's pushed me into different directions. And one of the, one of the few gifts, yeah. it's not an awful lot of gifts, but one of the gifts I do think it's brought me is that clarity, like the clarity you're describing there of like knowing what you want to do with the time you have. Because when you don't have as much energy, you don't have as many spoons, for anyone who's familiar with spoon theory, like you've got to choose to spend them a little bit more wisely. And yeah, like you, you're you not going to be doing 18 hours at some banking job just to make a load of money that you might get to spend one day when you retire because you know that actually this is your life right now and you've got to use Hi. every minute in a way that you want to. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> I... I wonder as well, like, how does it feel for you being so open and so vulnerable about your health and your body online? Have you ever had any kind of vulnerability hangovers? Has it ever felt too much for you? Sometimes it does. And that's, I'd say, more recently. So when I started, it was it was weird. I didn't really disclose much about myself too personally when I started the page. When I started the page, I didn't make videos at first because I was so scared of, like, putting the videos out. I wanted to make the videos, but I didn't put them out at first. And I didn't really disclose much about me. I didn't really post my face very much. Uh, didn't really kind of talk about myself very much. And then afterwards, I opened up a bit more. So I talked about myself, started making videos, started being in the videos and stuff. People really liked that because they were just like, oh, I can connect with a person now rather than these random posts that I was seeing, which were nice, but I didn't know who was behind them. Now the page has grown since I started it. So I get more messages, which are great. And I appreciate every single one. Sometimes though, it's like, and this is not to anyone's fault it's like oh my gosh like I have to reply to a lot of these because I want to but I don't know if I'm ready yet or I don't know if I if I if I, I feel sometimes you feel too vulnerable to reply or sometimes you feel like oh, mm. oh maybe I shouldn't have maybe I shouldn't have put myself out there because maybe people are thinking that I'm just being over the top or even though nobody no one ever says that to me like everyone's very lovely it's just tricky or or um people want to be very helpful so they're not offer their advice but then sometimes it's like too much or too much <laughs> and I say that in the nicest way possible because to be honest I can't really complain too much most people are very very understanding um very patient very lovely um I only have like a few 
few bad like um, experiences where people have been a bit too much, but it can be it can be tricky because also when you put yourself out there, other people feel open to put themselves out there to you. So I've had people like yeah. been inspired by my openness and then decided for the first time they were going to be open with me, which is great sometimes, but then sometimes I'm just in a bad way. Like, and then someone kind of, it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. And to be given that. Yeah. And they'll pull their heart out about their story and I want to respond to it. But then I'm also like, this is draining me today. I can't lie, you know, but then I also don't want to leave that person hanging. Who's just, poured their yeah. heart out to me so sometimes there's this like this uh conflict of that sometimes and sometimes to some people I said you know what I really want to give you my full attention can I read this tomorrow I'm not feeling too great but I really like yeah I really want to like respond to you properly I feel terrible doing that but sometimes that happens so it's kind of like I guess now I'm in a stage of where to establish that boundary that's still grateful and respectful and wants everyone to still be open but then also making it so that I'm having a boundary of, of what I share and how I my vulnerability so that I'm still okay. Yeah. And how much access other people get to you, I suppose. Yeah. It's that's something I'm figuring out now because it's only really recently where it's kind of become a bit more frequent. It wasn't so frequent before. Um whereas now it's kind of changed a bit. I mean, I, I had someone who, you know, spoke about their mental health and they told me that they were you know trigger warning to anyone but they were thinking about taking their own life and it was they were in another country and I was just like oh my gosh what am I what am I supposed to do like you know yeah. I don't know what to do because you're I don't know where you live I you know and I just was like I hope you're not going to do anything please go to the A&E or something and eventually they were okay but it was like that was the first time I was like oh wow this thing is it's cool but and and it's cool sharing, but this can be a lot sometimes, you know. Yeah, well, I mean that like that is a a big responsibility that's just popped up, and then, and then an Instagram inbox like you, if you hadn't seen that message, how it would have felt to find it like two days later or something. Yeah, I can see that being huge. I share your page quite a lot with other people with chronic illness because I think one of the things that probably makes people feel so able to talk to you about what they're going through is I love the way you represent chronic illness and health as a neutral fact like Mm. I I don't know if that describes it as well as I could but like you just talk about it as reality and it feels like you have no hang-ups around it um like no like shame or guilt or any of those things that so many of us can end up feeling around the way our health impacts our lives um and so I wonder if that's just part of it for people that you feel so sorted and they kind of almost want to use you as like a a little bit of a free therapist yeah I mean that's always been the aim that's so I'm really happy to hear you say that actually because that's what the the aim of sort of the vibe that I wanted to put out I didn't want to put out something that was too sad or always kind of feeling really really negative which you know we have those days it's more like not trying to be too sad not trying to be too yeah we can get through this it's more just this is what it is sometimes it is sad and some days it it does feel like we could get through this it's more like acknowledging the reality of just that it can change and the reality and but I think also the key also was wanting to be neutral in that way so that it was open enough for people that didn't have chronic illnesses to feel like it was accessible to them as well um that they could access it and feel that they could just listen to it and just hear um which I hope is the case too. Um, but that was the main aim before I started was making sure that that vibe was was what I'm trying to achieve with each video. Um, 
so I'm, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you said that actually. Very happy. I reckon you're nailing it. <laughs> Can I ask you like what's next? Have you got other plans on the horizon or are you just going to kind of take it as it comes? I think what I've always wanted even before I started like was to just make more art so whether that's video or not like it's just expanding it to so not so still doing what I'm doing I still want to do what I'm doing but also kind of like expand it into different mediums and to kind of work on larger scale projects um to kind of like get those kind of that creative muscles kind of working Mm -hmm. a bit more like vlogs are creative of course like the videos I make are still creative but just kind of exploring that and now different formats so whether that's in a documentary film or whether that's in um, a photography or a mixed media, multimedia project, or whether that's in writing, I just I think it's just expanding it to different mediums and stuff like that. And also getting to a point where I can, this could be the only thing I want. This is the only thing I want yeah. to do, to be honest with you, is work on, not necessarily you look okay to me as the brand or the name, but just make uh, health slash chronic illness related art and the creative creative content that's what I want to be able to kind of sustain myself on so I could do it all the time so it's kind of looking into that really that's sort of the main main aim we'll see we'll see where that goes <laughs> well I am 100% on board with that I also think it could be an amazing podcast like just hearing other people's voices and I guess the great thing about doing it in all those different media methods is it makes it more accessible to different people with different barriers and difficulties as well exactly yeah exactly definitely I do want to do a podcast as well but I just haven't had the time (laughs) I'm not surprised (laughs) so Jamisha where can people find you and your work online if they want to check you out after this so you can find me on social media so all the social media platforms I'm on are Facebook Twitter Instagram and that's you look okay to me for all of them um you'll find me on there I also have a website which is you look okay to me.com um and YouTube I forgot YouTube as well YouTube you look okay to me so (laughs) pretty much you look okay to me google it and you'll come up finally (laughs) and I will stick um all the links in the show note as well for anyone who is looking on their phone thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today this has been awesome thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it so the show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 78 or if you're listening in your podcast app with any luck they should magically appear in the notes for this episode including all the links and everything else you will also find a link there to my program i mentioned right at the beginning for anyone who struggles with procrastination who struggles with making plans but not following them through especially in your creative work or your business head to meetandorla.co.uk forward slash magic i will be back next week with a brand new episode thank you for listening and huge thank you to jamisha for making this episode happen